All right, what is good, everyone? We are in the finale of the Rothschild Bloodline. Yes, seven parts. It is finished. <laughs> no pun intended. But on the real note, of course, we are going to be going on to the next family after this episode. And please, go listen to the other episodes. If you have not, you are missing so much valuable content. Do not skip other episodes. You literally miss important information on how to build long-term generational wealth, as well as the free books that are provided. You're literally missing free, valuable content. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's what we're here for. I mean, we're here to, of course, find out, you know, these evil people, but come on free information on how to build your wealth and do it like the elites without hurting others and working together come on gotta get moving <laughs> anyway moving forward we do of course have to give credit to fritz springmeyer and Siska wheeler and those exposing the illustrious council that have turned their life over to christ and Belief that he is Lord, that his blood saves all. I believe that myself, and we are not here to press our beliefs or face upon anybody else. We're just here to present the facts. And there is one person that I did come across newly as of today on August 1st. Uh, he's actually not new, he died in 2018, but uh, ever since 1979 has been out to uh, really show how the illustrious council really is active and does what they say they do by drinking the blood and eating the penal glands. Uh, his name is Joseph Doc Marquis. He explained this on the Oprah Winfrey show back in 1979. There's a clip of him on YouTube. You can definitely check him out. Um, but he is a full devout Christian because he actually was a Satanist that did kill people, hundreds of them, and then turned his life over to Christ. And yes, there are people that are out there that expose this information, that aren't afraid to step out into the light and show themselves. But there are also those that are infiltrating the satanic organization and doing everything they can to really combat against it and stop it as much as possible. But without further ado, we always talk about the First, Fifth, and Tenth Amendment because it is very important because people are not aware at all of their rights in America. Without further ado, the First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Yes, that is because of our lovely politicians who just love to control us through fear and uncertainty. So we have a right to redress our grievances. Now, Amendment Number 5 says no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia 
when in actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject to the same offense, to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. And this is due to the mask mandation and how it really has no effect. There's no law in America saying that we have to wear a mask. Uh, it actually does deprive of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and it deprives of one's property. Your body is a property. So assert your Fifth Amendment right in America because only as a citizen you have that right that you cannot be arrested nor fined by any law enforcement nor be forced by a politician to wear a mask. It's no, no law anywhere in the United States. Even if there's a so-called imposed fine by a city or a state, they can't do that. It's against the law. It doesn't, it actually just, it breaks the Fifth Amendment. But moving on to the Tenth Amendment, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. That is, we the people, because career politicians, lobbyists, big business owners, the elites, anybody who thinks that they can control others with power and money, that's not how the world works. And that's why it says, we, the people, have the right to say what happens. But after this, we're going to go ahead and go into the Rothschilds, finish that up, talk about long-term generational wealth afterwards, and then give that free book. And at the very end, of course, of the history, the documented history on the Rothschilds, we are going to give every single reference since we did say at the very, very first part of the Rothschilds, we, will, we would be doing that. But without further ado, let's go on to Jekyll Island and what that really means with the Rothschilds. Now, the illustrious council interest wanted to create a central bank in America. They wanted to build the Federal Reserve. First, they needed a bunch of banking crises that, would that really would push public opinion towards a Federal Reserve system. Now, these were provided by the illustrious council, including J.P. Morgan's Knickerbocker Panic of 1907. And second, they needed a favorable U.S. president in office. Rothschild agent Colonel House provided this by getting Woodrow Wilson elected. The American people were being conditioned. Now, to provide the reform of the American banking system, a Congressional National Monetary Commission was created, and a man related to the Rockefellers, Nelson Aldrich, was put in charge. For two years, this commission traveled around Europe, hobnobbing with the illustrious council and getting directions as how the central bank should be set up. Then the commission returned in 1910, and Nelson Aldrich went to a secret meeting at the Jekyll Island Hunt Club in Georgia to write the legislation for an American central bank to be run by the Illuminati, the illustrious council. 
Now, others at the Jekyll Island meeting were these illustrious councilmen, A. Plot, Andrew, Frank, Vanderilp, or, <clears throat> excuse me, Vanderilp of A. Kuhn Loeb and Company Bank, Henry Davidson of J.P. Morgan, Charles Norton of Morgan Bank, Paul Warburg of Kuhn Loeb and Company and brother-in-law of Schiff, Benjamin Strong of another Morgan Company. Now, most of these men were connected to the Jacob Schiff, or J.P. Morgan, who in turn were agents for the House of Rothschild. The Jekyll Island Hunt Club was even owned by J.P. Morgan. The Federal Reserve Bill was sneakily passed through Congress in the winter of 1913, and President Woodrow Wilson signed the bill into law. The illustrious council, particularly the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, had usurped the financial power of the United States. The first governor of the New York branch of the Federal Reserve was Benjamin Strong. The first governor of the Fed's board of directors was Paul Warburg. Both connected to Schiff, J.P. Morgan, Jr., and the House of Rothschild, of course, brought about the Fed has, which an effective tool of the illustrious council and the Rothschilds, creating crises such as the Great Depression, which J.P. Morgan Jr. was very involved in creating. And apparently, according to Congressman Lewis McFadden, the Depression helped consolidate financial power over the U.S., putting it in the hands of the Rothschilds banking alliance between J.P. Morgan's First National Bank Group and Schiff's Kuhn Loeb Run National City Bank. The Great Depression also led to Roosevelt's New Deal. And that's what Jekyll Island was all about. Now we're going to go to World War One. The Rothschild connections to the First World War are an excellent example of controlled conflict. On the Allied side, the British and French houses financially supported their country battles. Well, more the country's battles. And some Rothschilds were even soldiers, although they didn't see much action. Uh, J.P. Morgan Bank was a big financial help <clears throat> excuse me, to the Allied cause. It was the Allies' purchasing agent until the U.S. entered the war. It also created a syndicate that financed modernization in China to help defend that country against the Japanese threat. The elite wanted America in the war. Historian Charles Tansel noted here, quote, The large banking interests were deeply interested in the World War because of wide opportunities for large profits. On August 3rd, 1914, even before the actual clash of arms, the French firm of Rothschild Ferreris cabled to Morgan and Company in New York suggesting the flotation of a loan of a hundred million, a substantial part of which was to be left in the United States to pay for French purchases of American goods. End quote. The Lusitania was a ploy. It was packed with some Morgan-owned ammunition and had been given over to England as a member of the Navy and despite the warnings of the Germans was sent into a naval war zone specifically to be a target, the catalyst for America's entrance to the war. A knowledgeable American State Department failed to warn the U.S. citizens aboard the ship of the voyage's definite danger. Churchill ordered the Lusitania's naval escort to return to ports, and the fated ship was left unprotected to be sunk. A Rothschild agent 
Colonel House probably knew of this plot. Records point to a discussion of it between him and Sir Edward Grey of England. Historian Colin Simpson called the sinking of the Lusitania the foulest act of willful murder ever committed on the seas. Now, on the Axis side of the Rothschild network was also funding, or really funneling money. Another family allied to the Rothschilds was the Warburgs. Max Warburg, brother of Kuhn Loeb's Paul Warburg, run a family financial powerhouse in Frankfurt, Germany. One of the reasons the Rothschilds were able to liquidate their Frankfurt bank. Warburgs would run things. Now, Max was the head of the German secret police during World War I. The Warburg connection is reported to have helped the Axis powers financially. At the end of the war in 1919, the Treaty of Versailles meetings were attended by Rothschild-connected men like Paul and Max Warburg, John Foster Dules of Kuhn Loeb, Colonel House, Thomas Lamont of Morgans, and Alan Dules of Kuhn Loeb. The harsh terms of the Treaty of Versailles totally set the stage for World War II, said one delegate, quote, This is no peace. This is only a truce for 20 years. End quote. Sure enough, in 1939, the Second World War started. Another product of the Versailles meetings was the elite's charter for the League of Nations, the illustrious council's first attempt at creating a global institution. The League of Nations failed. That's right, failed. Now, this called for the need to create a think tank, special interest organization that could promote the new world order, thus the creation of the foreign relation institutions, the CFR, RIA, and so on. Now, this will be discussed in a bit, but World War I helped create a communist state. Max Warburg funded Lenin and his revolutionaries, Jacob Schiff gave a known $20 million to Lenin. J.P. Morgan and company helped to finance the Bolshevik Revolution. Alfred de Rothschild also helped finance the Bolsheviks. That was World War I. Now let's go to World War II. The Second World War was also controlled by the illustrious council and Rothschild interests. The Great Depression didn't only occur in America. It, was, it also swept Europe. The economic depression in Europe, coupled with an extremely harsh Versailles Treaty, helped fan the flames of the nationalistic fires that swept Germany. Now, Hitler was a member of the most powerful occultic secret society in Germany. He penetrated the inner circle of the society where Satanism was practiced. Now, Hitler was dedicated to Satan's empire, an evil puppet. He was brought into this evil group by Dietrich Eckert, who is supposed to have said on his deathbed, quote, Follow Hitler. He will dance. But it is I who have called the tunnel. I have initiated him into the secret doctrine, opened his centers in vision, and given him the means to communicate with the powers. Do not mourn for me. I shall have influenced history more than any German. End quote. Now, previously, we discussed the possibility of Hitler having been of Rothschild descendants, but consider this. He probably had satanic bloodline. He had the backing of a powerful satanic society, 
He had sold his soul to Satan, and he had the financial backing of the illustrious council. I mean, really, is any wonder that he rose from obscurity, poverty, and imprisonment to become one of the most powerful men to ever live? I'm... It's believed, and even safe to speculate, that Hitler was totally controlled by a demonic spirit or spirits, that he simply gave himself over to Satan's control. Now, an ex-member of the satanic hierarchy of the illustrious council expressed a belief to Fritz Sprengmeier that there were, or really there have been, certain evil men throughout history that had been totally given themselves over to possession by Satan. So yes, there's soft evidence and there's hard evidence like this. Now, that these men, Hitler, Genghis Khan, for example, have been antichrist types, simply human containers for the residence of a very powerful demonic spirit, or even Satan himself. The ex-illustrious council member believed that when Satan no longer had need for the body of his antichrist, he would discard it with death and find another willing soul to sacrifice his bodily control to the devil. Now, these figures would not be the, an the Antichrist, as explained in an informant, but would have allowed themselves to be taken over by the spirit of the Antichrist. This is just a theory, but we believe it has certain merit. Now, if this is true, it points or really paints an interesting picture of Hitler and the ruling class that created him. Now, Hitler's main source of economic power was from the IG Farben chemical cartel. And IG Farben, in turn, was controlled by the illustrious council. The IG Farben cartel was created by loans from Wall Street in what has been called the Dawes Plan. Carol Quigley calls the Dawes Plan largely a J.P. Morgan production. The J.P. Morgan Group set up the loan to I.G. Farben, which cre created Hitler. Now, without the capital supplied by Wall Street, there would have been no I.G. Farben in the first place, and almost certainly no Adolf Hitler, and World War II on top of that as well. Now, Henry Ford merged his German assets with I.G. Farben in 1928. The car the, yes, the cartel created the lethal Zyklon B gas that was used to exterminate the Jews. It was also involved in the torture experimentations that led to mind control methods, such as monarch programming. Do you see what happened? A Rothschild agent set up a cartel that was directly involved in the horrible persecution of the Jews. Still, and not only that, by covering the fact that we, it was done in America to fund out into Germany. The family maintains the illusion of being totally supportive of their, of their race. At first, Germany had a significant disadvantage if they were to embark on a Second World War. The nation had a fuel shortage, but the illustrious council fixed this problem. The Germans were able to fight World War II through the use of synthetic fuels that were created by the hydrogenation process, really turning coal into gasoline. So really, 
Are the big oil companies really using oil anymore? Have they been? Have they? That's a real question right there, because of such. Now, this process was discovered by I.G. Farben. Hydrogenation technology would not have been fully developed by World War II, but I.G. Farben made a deal with Rockefeller Standard Oil, who was able to complete that research, facilitating the war. Interestingly, I.G. Farben plants were not targeted by the bombing raids on Germany. By the end of the war, the refineries had experienced only 15% damage. William Dodd, American ambassador to Germany before World War II, wrote President Roosevelt, quote, At the present moment, more than 100 American corporations have subsidiaries here or corporative understandings. Continue, the DuPonts have their allies in Germany that are aiding in the armament business. The chief ally is the IG Farben Company. End quote. Standard Oil Company sent two million here in December, new quote, nineteen thirty-three, and has made five hundred K, five hundred thousand a year helping Germans improve, really improve hydrogenation technology. Even going on more to quote, the International Harvester Company president told me their business here rose 33% for the year, but they couldn't take nothing, earnings, out, except in goods. Uh, even our airplanes, people have secret arrangements with Krupp's. General Motors Company, which was controlled by J.P. Morgan Group, and Ford do enormous business here through their subsidiaries and take no profits out. End quote. Now, Germany needed the capital of these, and many more American companies in order to wage war, i.g. Farben, had a holding company in the United States called American, yes, get this, American I.G. Farben. Paul Warburg, his brother Max, head of Germany's secret police during World War I, and Warburg agent Hermann Metz were some of the members of the board of directors of the American IG Farben. Other directors included Rockefeller, international banking men, Edsel Ford, Charles Mitchell, Walter Teagle, and many more. Now, these three Germans on the board of governors were convicted as war criminals after the war, but the elite Americans forementioned were not. Now, even though they participated in the same criminal decisions as those who were punished. Now, according to author Eustace Mullins, Hitler met with Ellen and John Foster Dulles in 1933. The Dulles brothers were acting as legal representatives of Schiff and Warburg's Kuhn and Loeb and Company, which was an integral part of the Rothschild network. Mullins claims Kuhn and Loeb had extended large short-term credits to Germany and needed to ensure the repayment of these loans. Duhlis, or Duels supposedly assured Hitler he would receive the funds necessary. That's right, necessary to be installed as Chancellor of Germany if he promised to repay the debt, those debts. One of the largest tank manufacturers for Germany was Opel which was controlled by the J.P. Morgan Group. Now, the company connected to the J.P. Morgan Group was 
Bendix Aviation, which supplied data to Germany on automatic pilots, aircraft instruments, and aircraft and diesel engine starters. The examples go on and on. We could be here for days talking about it. Now, there is much more that could be written on this subject, but the manufactured Pearl Harbor attack allowed Roosevelt to enter America into the war. A second world war had been created by the illustrious council with the help of the Rothschild Morgan Warburg Schiff Syndicate. After the end of the war, <clears throat> excuse me, the tribunals that investigated Nazi war criminals censored any materials recording Western assistance to Hitler, said historian Anthony C. Sutton. And that was World War II. All the reason why people don't want to look into Hitler, because he's so connected to the American system, which is connected to the satanic elite. It's all interconnected. Now we're going to move on to globalism. Now, World War II facilitated the American acceptance of a global peacekeeping institution, the United Nations. After the U.S. had rejected the first attempt to create such an institution in the League of Nations, the illustrious council decided to create an arm of the Rothschild-funded roundtable groups, which could help influence Western society towards the embracement of, of globalism. Now, the original idea was to create an international special interest group of advisors that would promote the new world order. Yes, and I called the Institute of International Affairs. The plan eventually changed. The institutes were split up so that separate groups could influence separate governments without having the appearance of a conspiracy. Now, these groups were formed at what are called the Hotel Majestic Meetings. Baron Number 1 Edmund de Rothschild of France was the main force behind these meetings. And all the founders of these groups were men who had met with his approval. Chief of these was Rothschild agent Colonel Edward Mandel House. One of these groups was the CFR. The CFR Handbook of 1936 explains how it was established. Here it says, On May 30th, 1919, yes, 1919, several leading members of the delegations to the Pacific, or excuse me, to the Paris Peace Conference met at the Hotel Majestic in Paris to discuss setting up an international group which would advise their respective governments on international affairs. End quote. It was decided at this meeting to call the proposed organization the Institute of International Affairs. At a meeting on June 5, 1919, the planners decided it would be best to have separate organizations cooperating with each other. Consequently, they organized the Council on Foreign Relations with headquarters in New York and a sister organization, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, RIIA, in London also known as the Catham House Study Group, to advise the British gov government. A subsidiary organization, the Institute of Pacific Relations, was set up to deal exclusively with Far Eastern affairs and facilitated the Par Pearl Harbor attack. Other organizations were set up in Paris and Hamburg, the Hamburg branch being called the Institute for 
for Oswartig Politik, and the Paris branch being known as Centre de Etudes de Politique Etrangere. We haven't come across any research on the Institute for Oswartig Politik in Germany. It would be interesting, though, to see how this group was involved with the elite and the creation of World War II. Now, a group of illustrious council, wise men, took the plans laid out at the Hotel Majestic meetings and formed the CFR. The founders included Colonel Edward Mandelhaus, Rothschild agent, John Foster Dules of Rothschild Connected Kuhn, Loeb & Company, and Alan Dules, also Kuhn & Loeb Company. The CFR was officially founded on July 29, 1921. Money for the fun, really, money for the founding came from J.P. Morgan, Bernard Baruch, Otto Kahn, Jacob Schiff, Paul Warburg, and John D. Rockefeller, among others. The funding for the RIAA in London came primarily from the Astor family. Now, Rothschild connected Paul Warburg was on the original board of directors of the CFR. As we clearly see, the Rothschild network had significant influence in the creation of the foreign relation groups. This influence continues today. The Rothschild's power, power within the street, society of the elect, and the roundtable groups extended to the semi-public CFR, RIA, and many other groups. The House of Rothschild was up in arms with their fellow elites managing the creation of the New World Order. Should there be a part three to this series, which there won't be because we are just finishing up, if we really do go into another part, it would be an investigation of individual Rothschilds from the World War era upon the modern day world and their continuing involvement in the illustrious council. The only two, as of right now, today, are Jacob Rothschild and Evelyn Rothschild. Now, to put a side note on the Krupps, we're going to go on them for just a tiny bit. But to give a bit of background on them, because we are going to go fully in-depth on them. Just not on this episode. It's been said by an illustrious council informant that the Krupp family is part of the illustrious council. It's clear that the Krupp family must be at least in agreement to the plans of the illustrious council. Now, this can be said because of the extensive power of the Krupps. The Krupps were the primary producers of the big guns for the German army in World War I. Lenin wanted the Krupps to help him make the Russian steppes productive. The Krupps have produced agricultural equipment and trained locomotives as well as tanks. After World War I had ended, the head of the Krupp family, Gustav Krupp von Bullen und Halbach, began secretly planning to rebuild Germany's military might. Gustav Krupp bought coal mines after World War I with an eye on using them for future weapons productions. After the Allied Control Commission departed Germany in 1928, Krupp factories began secretly turning out a few tanks, particularly at Krupp's 
Garaswasserk Factory. A Christian science monitor which ties in with the occult system sent reporters to Krupp's factories during the 1920s to report on how well the Germans were complying with the Versailles Treaty limitations. The reporters were give, really gave a clean bill of health to the Krupp factories, even though the reporters should have questioned why all their film was destroyed during the factory tours. Really, infrared rays were beamed into their film while they toured Krupp factories. A Prussian-trained Gustav Krupp had really married the daughter of Friedrich Krupp, whose name was Bertha. And Bertha was a powerful woman. Now, and she was also a sole owner in 1902 of one of Germany's largest steel firms. The Krupps have lived about really above Essen, German, in a huge palace called Villa Huegel, whose small wing has 60 rooms. Yeah, that's small for that. They, they also have other castles and villas. But at one time, they owned, as, as far as we still know, a castle in the Austrian Alps named Blumenbach. Gustav Krupp hosted and was one of the leaders of a secret group of 12 powerful German industrialists called the Ruhrlade, which secretly made Germany's industrial decisions during the Weimar Republic. Now, this group also made political decisions. In 1932, Krupp began to help help Hitler. The secret governing body of the Ruhlard or Ruhlade covered their tabs and gave secret support to Hitler on his rise to power. Illuminatus William Randolph Hearst and his chief European correspondent William Bayard Hale met with Hitler early in the 1920s at Hale's lavish suite at the Hotel Bayerischer Hof. And to give the finale on the Rothschilds. The illustrious council are building their temple secretly throughout the United States. As of today, in Cameroon, they're placing one. As we speak. And spreading influence in Africa. About 90% of Africa knows nothing of the Rothschild dynasty. The last issue of this newsletter described the massive pyramid that has been built at Las Vegas. Now, pyramids have also been built at San Francisco, the Transamerica building, and in Chicago, and in other eastern places. The San Francisco building was built by people with ties to the Rockefellers. Just north of San Fran and east of the Bohemian Grove is the Napa Valley of California. Anton LaVey moved to Napa Valley after his split with an Aquino. Now, LaVey ran a con construction company during, really, during the 1910, out of Napa, California. Now, as a side, Anton LaVey's chief representative in our Portland area is Rex Diablos Church. Grew up in Rex Nance, in Seaside High School at the Oregon Coast. Now, Rex worked at the drugstore at Broadway and Holiday at Seaside during high school. 
Two years after high school, he returned to his hometown with his head shaved and wearing black in LaVey fashion. He had a stripper who dressed in black who was a Satanist as his girlfriend for a while in the Portland area. According to Rex's own words, he grew up in a secret satanic family and was baptized to Satan as a child. Rex and his satanic friends, <clears throat> excuse me, has schemed how to hurt the Christians. How many of their devious plans have succeeded, we really don't know. And also of interest is the is that Rex lived a good deal with his what has been reported as Jehovah's Witness grandparents. With the Church of Satan feeling comfortable in Napa, it's not surprising that the Baron and Baroness Felipe de Rothschild picked the area to build a secret temple to Satan. Now, these people have been constructing castles and other large buildings on spiritual key lines for centuries, which are called Lee lines, L-E-Y lines. Now, so it goes without saying that when this secret temple was built in Napa, that the icy lines were at least considered in choosing a site. The Baron Rothschild began the construction of a pyramid in Napa Valley, which his wife completed after he died. The pyramid is called Opus One. According to one of the construct or really contractors who participated in building the pyramid, the project cost thirty-five million. The various construction cost reports, given the given the public, have been much less than what this contractor has said was the real cost of the building. The theme of the numbers three and six runs throughout the large Opus One pyramid building, as well as the number six six six. Also, little circles frequently appear. The name of the building is Opus 1, which means the first work. Now, its cover or front for the temple is that it is a winery. Now, the, the winery operates very strangely to a legitimate winery. The entire project of buying the land, building Opus 1, and operating it has been shrouded in secrecy. The wineries in California when they open traditionally and normally are open to the public. The opening ceremonies of Opus One were shrouded in secrecy. The opening announcement was low-key and only select people and select international media types were invited. This opening is extremely unusual for a winery in the Napa Valley area. Private guided tours are very hard to obtain of Opus One, in contrast to other wineries in Napa Valley. Now further, the estate that the winery, Temple, sits on is very protected and secluded. The wrought iron gates, yes, that's right, wrought iron gates, are always closed. However, we're able to get a first-hand report from a group of three that managed to view Opus One. Now, during the tour, this group saw many occult and satanic items, and yet large areas of the winery, Temple, were closed off to even this private tour group. The winery is not constructed even remotely similar to any winery in the U.S. The project began as a joint venture between Robert Mondavi and Baron Rothschild in 1979. The land was secretly purchased, and in the late 1960s, construction quietly began using contractors from far away. Strangely, the Napa Valley Register, which reports on all building activity, remained extremely quiet about what was being built. 
From the air, the construction forms a Masonic square and campus or compass. On the inside, really on the inside, hidden stairwells and other hidden features have been built in. The capstone of the pyramid has a rotunda where skylight penetrates the capstone and where viewers can get a view of the entire Napa Valley. There have numerous Rothschilds, Rothschilds who have entered into the various Masonic rites. For instance, Louis Rothschild was a 32nd degree Scottish Rite Mason in Chicago during the 1890s. The reason for this is that Freemasonry is used as a type of early class for those who are in the illustrious council to get them familiar with the symbols of the mystery religions and give them more practice with hand signals, rituals, and secrecy. Now, orchids, which are used by the Mothers of Darkness, are grown all over the area. Orchids are the only type of flower grown on the site, and they, are ki and they really are cared for by Mothers of Darkness who are dressed in all black, which is the standard color of garb of the Mothers of Darkness. The pyramid was built with limestone from Texas. No doubt there is some occult significance to the site that the limestone came from. Limestone itself has fossils, which have, hidden, have been hidden from easy view for some reason. Remember that ancient Egyptian pyramids used limestone. Originally, Opus 1 was scheduled to open around the summer solstice. But the date was shifted to Wednesday, October 30th, 1991, which is the day before Halloween. Now, since the opening day, the Rothschilds have had events scheduled around the Satanic High Days. Those who are familiar with the occult know that these events are covers for Satanic rituals, which are held secretly. The land has wrought iron gates, which are locked at all times. Some of the occult items which private visitors saw within the pyramid were a book on wine depicting orgies by Salvador Daly, who is a Satanist, a blue-black picture with naked ritual dancers, and other strange occultic pieces of art, such as an oil painting of what looked like Satan. Massive draconian oak doors are built facing the hall that leads to the room where wine is tasted. Mirrors abound in the place. The gilded artwork on the mirrors is often rococo. Rococo, that's right. The Baroness personally designed and furnished the interior. The upside down peace sign is found designed in some of the furniture as barren trees. Two trees of life from Peru are by the fireplace. The tree of life is, by the way, very important to this level of the illustrious council. The visitors also saw three mutton ceremonial drinking cups with, ra with rams and chairs, which had the carvings on the front, arms, legs, of fully formed demons were, were found in one of the rooms. The foyer looks like the inside of a snail or corkscrewy. Now, much of the furnishings were purchased by the Baronist Rothschild from the De Medicis. It was various marble floors and tables set with orchids. The stainless steel and the floors in the winery are immaculate. The workers who work there 
were scrutinized closely before being hired. Now, originally, the wine workers were required to wear black pants and white shirts. The workers who had to stomp the grapes were unhappy about the uniform requirements. Now, we've been trying to follow the Rothschild family with its many branches to this extent. Although the Rothschilds are seen as great internationalists, we can't be surprised if some of the people of the Rothschilds seem somewhat middle class. For instance, in Millington, Michigan, northeast of Flint, Michigan, one family dominates the towns. This family is the Bauer family. B-A-U-E-R. Stan Bauer was a man who mysteriously simply attracted material possessions to himself without any visible source of money. His son, Harold Bauer, a 32nd-degree mason who sat on the Houghton Lake City Council. His next son, Terry Bauer, was also a mason, also had a position in local government, and was on the school board. His daughter, Barbara Bauer, married Jim Hager, who was also a mason who lived in Grand Blanc, south of Flint. There's certainly more that could be said about the satanic Rothschild bloodline, but this is where we'll end it. And that is everything we have to cover on Rothschilds. Otherwise, we would have an unlimited part series on the Rothschilds. <laughs> we probably have unlimited part series on all the other families too, but we're not going to do that. What we are going to do is name all the references. So without further ado, we have Virginia Cowles who wrote The Rothschilds, a Family Fortune, New York. Alfred, Anoff Incorporated, 1973. Anthony Sampson, The Money Lenders, New York. Penguin Books, 1983. Morton Frederick, The Rothschilds, A Family Portrait, New York. Collier Books, 1991. Westberg, well, Joseph Westberg, The Merchant Bankers, New York. Pocket Books, 1968. William Still, New World Order, Lafayette, Louisiana. Huntington House Publishers, 1990. Anthony C. Sutton, America's Secret Establishment, An Introduction to the Order of Skull and Bones, Liberty House Press. Eustace Mullins, The World Order, Boring, Oregon. And that's the name of the, the city, Boring. CPA Book Publisher, 1985. Epperson, real, well, it's A. Ralph Epperson, The Unseen Hand, Tucson, Arizona. Publis Press, 1985. And of course, we also have... Lord Rothschild, The Shadow of a Great Man, London, 1982, page 6. Derek Wilson, Rothschild, The Wealth and Power of a Dynasty, New York, Charles Schriber's Sons, page 101. Source of quote given in the book. George Armstrong, Rothschild Money Trust, CPA reprint of 1940 edition, page 66 to 88. Also in this vein read, Eustace Mullins, which we already went over. And his was on page 31 to 33 under the World Order. Anton Darms, The Delusion of British Israelism, New York. Luzak's Brothers, or Luzo Brothers, pages 186 to 187. O.P. Darms, cited, plus there are Numerous other accounts of how Israel was started with British help, and one has to simply see who did it and the Rothschild connections. As quoted in 
Anthony Sampson, The Money Lenders, Middlesex English, Penguin Books, LTD 1985, page 37. Encyclopedia Judaica, page 696. Gordon Moore, The Hidden Power Behind Freemasonry, Burnsville, Minnesota, Wiseman Publishing, 1990, page 154. Also, various high-ranking Satanists that the power of God has pulled out of Satanism have said they were eyewitnesses to Satan appearing at the Rothschilds. What they witnessed when Satan showed up at the Rothschilds was that Satan appeared as an extremely beautiful man, except his hooves would be cloven. He would wear a black tuxedo to gamble and play cards. Winnings were sexual victims, and a white tuxedo when coming only to socialize. An excellently researched book by a Christian journalist, A Jewish Ancestry, is The Six-Pointed Star by O.J. Graham, New Puritan Library, 1984. And this book covers the satanic magic history of the Seal of Solomon before its modern Jewish use. The book shows how the symbol was not a Jewish symbol until recent times. M. Hirsch Goldberg, The Jewish Connection, New York, Stein and Day, 1976, page 197. Arthur Kostler, 13th Tribe, New York, Random House, 1976, page 136 to 137. The Satanic Star is referred to it's in Acts chapter 7, verse 43, and Amos chapter 5, verses 25 to 30. Chapter 5, verses 25 to 26. The shield carried by King David was traditionally believed to be engraved either with the same or with the name of God or the monarch or Psalm 67. Siegel, Richard, and Carl Rhines. Metamorphosis of a tree. Ten Jewish symbols of their meanings. Jewish 44 Almanac. New York. Bantam Books. 1980. Page 515. Manly P. Hall. 33rd degree Masonic, Hermetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian symbol Symbolical Philosophy. 17th edition, L.A., California, Philosoph the Philosophical Research Society, 1971, page CXLV. We have Watchtower, December 1891, pages 170 to 71. We also got to see WTR on page one. 1,342, C.T. Russell's letter was sent by him from Palestine in August 1891 to Rothschilds. Samuel W. w. Taylor, Rocky Mountain Empire, The Latter-day Saints Today, New York, Macmillan Publishing Company, Incorporated, 1978, page 66. And of course, we have Corti, well, Count Egon Caesar Corti, The Rise of the House of the Rothschild, Boston, L.A., Western Islands, 1972, copyright 1928 by Cosmopolitan Books Corporation. O.J. Graham, Six-Pointed Star, we already went over that, of course. Fritz Springmeyer, Be Wise as Serpents, Portland, Oregon, privately published 1991. Virginia Kells, Rothschilds, A Family of Fortune, New York. Alfred A. Knopf, Incorporated, 1973. Frederick Morton, Rothschilds, A Family Portrait, New York. Collier Books, 1961, Introduction and Epilogue, 1991. Edith Starr Miller, Occult Theocracy, L.A., California, 1933. And, of course, Ralph A. Epperson, The Unseen Hand, Tucson, Arizona, Publis Press, 1985.
And those are all the re references. And if you don't believe that, I don't know what to tell you. You got to do your own research at that point. Really, you have to, because this is this is enough in-depth research that if you can't believe that, we're not going to provide any more research. You got to do that yourself, really. But we're here to provide long-term generational wealth, of course, and we talk about economic patterns. We actually look at the real sources on how to really follow on to really prepare. So you want to collect as many precious physical resources as much as possible, which is precious metals, water, uh, freeze-dried foods, uh, guns, ammunition, uh, having a farm, having a chicken coop. Really, it does not matter what you have, but as long as you have something to really provide for yourself as a collateral, when the currency crashes, you'll be good. But without further ado, our disclaimer is we are not financial advisors. We are not we are not licensed financial advisors. We are not licensed attorneys. We are not licensed asset protection specialists. We are not licensed tax attorneys. We are not licensed tax accountants. So if you have anything specific about that, please go to your specialists. We're here just to provide the concepts that people can look at all the time, anywhere online, but we're here to really scrunch that time so that way you don't have to waste that searching yourself and just learn here. Without further ado, of course, we have another stock that you can follow. And of course, all the stocks we give are long-term stocks to hold, not to sell until it's time to profit. But the Carlisle Group, just type in CG stock. Today was at $28.40 a share. Now, one of the places that we look at for economic growth is called CFS, which is Center for Financial Stability. We've mentioned them before previously. Now, their stats on year-over-year -year percentage from June 2019 to June 2020 went from 4.8% to 32%. That's a huge jump. That doesn't happen because we can even show, based off previous year, <clears throat> excuse me, June 18, June 2018 to June 2019 went from 4.9% to 4.8%. And it's usually been about that 4% range well it was more of the two percent going up to the four and five percent range but it does not jump like that from four to thirty two percent no it doesn't the reason how we can say that and this is quoting the cfs from june the implication for value investors is clear monetary largesse is wreaking havoc with the investment strategy for the public and officials the propagation of valuation distortions starve a wide spectrum of deserving companies and industries access to capital. This will surely minimize private sector-driven growth going forward. You can definitely look at this at the U.S. 30, how, the, how they just literally end as the dollar. You can literally see the times when they printed money. The market literally pumped Every time they print money, the market for the dollar or US 30, it pumps. And when everything is crashing, you'll see it fall. And every time they pump it, that's because they're printing the money. But, of course, we give that free book out of all this. And this one is going to be like a cherry on top for all the information given. It's called Tax-Wise Business Ownership by Toby Mathis. Now, this isn't full in-depth details on the taxes, but this gives a good basic understanding of what you can do to really become tax-wise so that way you don't pay taxes legally or pay the 
least amount of taxes. The less taxes you pay, the more you save. That's how you really save. You don't save by working hard. You save by paying less taxes. That's how it works. And he is a licensed tax attorney, licensed tax accountant, has been doing this for over 20 years with Anderson Advisors. Highly recommend them for your asset protection and tax counting purposes. They will take care of you very well. I highly recommend them. I'm not paid by them to sponsor them or anything like that. They don't sponsor me at all. I just have researched them and done enough information gathering from them. They are legit to the core. They care about people and give so much free, valuable content. Highly recommend going into looking with them. But without further ado, we appreciate everyone so much, absolutely to the core, that you take your time in order to learn exactly what is going on out there and how you can really apply yourself to the maximum. And we always say that Jesus Christ is Lord, our Savior, and we say this to the fullest extent, his blood saves all, especially with Joseph Doc Marquis, just learning about him, especially with Fritz Springmeier, Cisco Wheeler, many others that have come forward, have gone from a complete dark side to a complete right, light side. We're not here to push our faith and belief on anybody, but we're just here to present the facts and really where it's at. You believe whatever you want to believe, but this is where we're at. Well, until next time, we appreciate everyone sitting in listening to all this free, valuable content. Until next time, peace out.